Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. You've done it. Congratulations. You have made it through yet another interlull. Two odd weeks without Arsenal. And we've still got another few days to go, of course, because we don't play until Monday night. Giving us an Arsenal-free weekend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But we have come through the interlull. That's it. Until next month's interlull. And you know what I was thinking? We haven't done much, have we, to try and alleviate the lack of Arsenal during these international breaks. Like, we know they're happening. Every season they happen at more or less the same time. It's not like one minute you're expecting there to be Arsenal at the weekend and then the next somebody says, no, it's cancelled because we have to play some international games in the UEFA Nations League of countries of nations that are in Europe in UEFA. So, I mean, why don't we do something to try and uh, take our minds off the fact that there's nothing to take our minds off the fact that there's international football? Sounds complicated, actually, now that I've said it out loud. Maybe we, we should just carry on just complaining from the sidelines. I think we all like a good complain every now and again, and there's plenty to complain about these days. This, of course without question, being the single most important issue that the world is dealing with at this moment in time. I did see, though, that Gibraltar won their second consecutive UEFA Nations League of Nations, League of Gentlemen of Countries and Nations football thing. Two games in a row, won by Gibraltar. Like, what is the population of Gibraltar? Uh, I'm going to display my ignorance here. If there's any uh, Gibraltesers out there, uh, apologies for not knowing enough about where it is that you live. 34,571. Holy shit. That's much more than I thought it was going to be. I was thinking maybe like 400 people. And you know the, what are they? Macaques, the monkeys, those guys. I guess that makes a lot more sense though. 34,000, much better than whatever I said, 400, 700. But it's still quite small in international football terms. So for them to win two games on the trot, I mean, that is uh, that is some achievement. It really is. I'd say the uh, the local bar was absolutely hopping after that win. Who did they beat? I don't know. Latvia? Maybe Latvia. No, actually, uh, just uh, clicking around here. It turns out they beat Liechtenstein 2-1, a similarly small country. The bar in Liechtenstein, I'd say, was uh, not so 
not so hopping, although people might have been in there drowning their, their sorrows. And look at this, actually. Gibraltar, on Saturday, Gibraltar ended a 22-game losing streak in competitive football with a 1-0 Nations League win away to an Armenia team captained by Henrik Mikatarian. I mean, that's not great, is it? I'm not saying it's down to Mikatarian, obviously, and his lack of leadership, but you'd be kind of embarrassed, wouldn't you, if you if you were him and your you know, top footballer and your team loses to Gibraltar. I'd say you probably get a bit of stick on the training ground for that when you come back. I mean, you could imagine, couldn't you? You could imagine Mustafi, you know, with all the the banter, das banter from Mustafi when Mkhitaryan comes back in and he'd be like, Hey, Henrik, what is your favorite actor of all time and also a wrestler? It's The Rock, The Rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> hey, Henrik. What is your favorite movie of all time? Which also stars Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery and Ed Harris. Yeah, it's The Rock. Ha ha ha. The Rock of Gibraltar, you get it? Hey, Henrik, what is your favorite confectionery thing with words written through the middle of it that you get at the seaside? Yeah, Rock of Gibraltar, you get it? Ha 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 ha. I would like uh, at this moment in time to apologize to all of Germany for that terrible accent. Yeah, look, that's been the international break, though. That's the the quality, I would say, of the first four minutes, 45 seconds of this podcast is right up there with the quality of this interlull. It has been long. It has been a bit tedious. There hasn't been much of any great interest going on. But here we are. Football is about to begin again. We'll be knee-deep in three games a week before you know what's happening. And then there'll be another interlull. But after that, there won't be an interlull until next year, 2019. Or is it 2019? I think it's 2019, isn't it? 2018. Yeah, I think it is. 2000. That's a bit unwieldy. It's like saying when you go to a web address, you've got to go to www.website.com or whatever it is. Or you can just say website.com. Now, that doesn't really work because when you're saying 2018, it's the exact same as saying 2018. You've got all the information there. But if you say website.com, it's not the same as www.website.com because it doesn't have the www. You see, the quality of this podcast is not getting any better. I hope it will improve between now and the end of the show. I make uh, absolutely no promises to that effect. Um, if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, by the way, you will have seen that on uh, Thursday night I did a kind of YouTube Q&A web stream thing, which was quite good fun. So uh, what I did was uh, I filmed basically the side of my head, but it was on a, a webcam thing. It was a camera thing, a Canon camera thing, and it was pointing at me, and then it was live on YouTube, and people could ask questions, and we could put the questions up on the screen and answer the questions and all that kind of stuff, and it was pretty good fun. So if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, you haven't seen it yet, you can log into patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, and you can check it out there. Just look at the link for the AMA slash live stream thing, and you'll find the YouTube link in there. It's exclusively available to you guys. If you want to get involved in the next one, uh, take part, ask a question, or just watch, 
You can sign up to be a Patreon member by going to patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It costs just a fiver a month and uh, it gives you lots of extra stuff. So as ever, everything that we always do on the website, the podcasts here, arsblog news, all the columns, etc., etc., free, 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 free forever. But if you feel like supporting what we do, you can sign up to be an arsblog member on Patreon and you get exclusive content, including a camera pointed at the side of my head while I talk into a microphone for an hour. What more could you want? I'll tell you, though, what we are going to do is do a live stream uh, for the Patreon members uh, of myself and James recording the Arscast Extra. So that might be quite fun to watch if you're into that kind of thing. You'll still be able to get it as a podcast, absolutely free, but if you want to watch us recording it, uh, once I sort out the uh, logistics of all that, that's something that we're going to do and uh, a bit more of that stuff as well. So uh, check that out if you like. Right, joining me now to discuss all the bits and pieces that have been going on over the international break, a look at where we are, what we've been doing. You'll know him from such podcasts as the Arsenal Vision podcast, but it's always great to have him on the show. Clive Palmer, hi. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. How have you been coping with this international break? I guess as an Englishman, you were probably quite happy with with the the Spain game and beating Spain in Spain, in Sevilla. Um, Quite the result for Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Englishman when it suits, right? So um, <laughs> I don't think I passed the cricket test. But um, but basically, I think um, I'm a fan of Southgate, actually. I like what he's doing. Everything he's done about the culture, the environment, how he's bringing in young players, how he's making them feel like they can actually play under within the shirt. Are you surprised, um, actually, by, by the... Success is not necessarily the right word yet because, uh, well, I suppose it's relative. But are you surprised at, at how positive it's been under him? Because when you think back to the spell that he had as manager of Borough, you know, it wasn't that inspiring. I think he went off to work for England under 21s, didn't he? And you're kind of thinking, Gareth, Gareth Southgate, is he, the, is he the right guy? But I mean, you look at what happened during the summer and seems to be continuing now. Uh, he is do, he's yeah. doing a good job. He is, he is the right guy. What he did, he went to work with Dan Ashworth and he was part of that football DNA type strategy that mm. a lot of the coaches worked to and a lot of the, the academies worked to with the EPPP. And so he's not he's been involved in the whole sort of Club England type environment and that's St George's Park. Then he went into the under-21s and obviously we all know that between the ages of 16 and 19, maybe even 21, English England have got the best players in the world. And everyone's queuing up to take them. I just read something today where as the England the 17s team playing this week and every single German scout from the, their first division was there watching from every single club. Wow. Right. So because they know there's bargains to be had, they know that the pathway to playing in the Premier League is blocked for some young talents. And everyone wants a Jaden Sancho. And mm. um, he went to Dortmund for eight million. And they're already throwing around 100 million a few months later, right? So the Germans are going to come over and they're going to have a look and Mm. and quite rightly provide an environment where they can play. uh, Because we're not doing that at the moment. We're we're choosing to go foreign and it works. That's why we've got the most watched league in the world. But there's a price to pay. We can't get these kids playing. Yeah, I mean, Sancho's a great example, isn't he? Somebody who went to... Um, he went to Manchester or went from Manchester City to to Germany. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a, a remarkable success story for him, and we've got a young guy, of course, who's following in those footsteps, sort of. Reese Nelson uh, has gone to Hoffenheim on loan, and we know that Reese Nelson and uh, Jaden Sancho are good mates. So uh, he's setting kind of an example, maybe for young players, to show them that the progression to come back to the Premier League because you assume that's what the end game will be simply because the Premier League is where the money is and everything else but in order to get yourself that profile just go away for a couple of seasons it could be very healthy yeah you've got to, you've got to control your career and what Reese Nelson has done is he didn't sign his contract until he had control over his career mm. and to go to Hoffenheim was a smart move Arsenal fortunately got him on a good contract before they sent him out which means Hoffenheim are now building our asset Mm. And we've we've all seen him do things in the last week that we all like, right? And um, yeah, and he's eighteen years of age, and the potential of him is huge. And as soon as you see him become the Premier League two player of the season at seventeen, eighteen, you know Arsenal have got a problem. They've got a real problem. What do they do? They've got a new manager coming in. Is he going to trust in an eighteen-year-old? He can't really. Not from day one got to get him playing because under 23 they're not working for him anymore and so this is a perfect move and we've still got control over the asset so let's watch him grow right and he'll come back maybe in january i saw a quote but um for me i hope next summer and then yeah. he becomes a full fully fledged member of the first team squad yeah i'd agree with you i think let him play the full season there because uh, He's going to have some ups and downs. You would hope more ups than downs, but the downs are, are part of the learning experience as well for, for a young player. And, uh, you know, if he does come back in January, I suppose it would speak to us having something of an injury crisis because we do have the players at that end of the pitch to cope uh, without Reese Nelson until next summer. And then you look at, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but I want to talk about, you know, Ramsey and Welbeck, but maybe Danny Welbeck, the reason they're not offering Danny Welbeck a new contract is because they're looking at Reese Nelson taking his place in the squad come next summer. Yeah, and, and they'd be right to. There's a number of players there that are, they're showing the right sort of signs, right? We we all know them. Iwobi is showing a, a, a great, great step forward this this season yeah um eddie and ketia he's on the fringes hasn't quite got there yet he's not getting a free look in but he's only around the corner and dominating at youth level and we've got maitland niles coming back as well and i just think i'm really really excited about this group with smith Rowe as well and they can they can really supplement the squad i mean me and tim talk about it's a lot get to get these players around our squad on the bench get opportunities rather than having players no criticism against him because we need him at the time but players like El Nenny who are very good players provide something to the squad mm. experienced internationals but I'm hoping Maitland-Niles kicks him out of Arsenal in the nicest possible way if that makes sense yeah Absolutely. Uh, it does make sense. And you're looking maybe Smith Rowe at some point being something akin to what Ramsey is or what we would like Ramsey to be. Nelson coming in. And Kedia, a guy who needs, I think, a loan spell in January. He's someone who needs to, to play above the level he's playing at, at this moment in okay. time. You know, uh, I think it's it, you, you get to a point, don't you, with a young player where maybe you leave it too late to send them out on loan. And they get a bit too, they stagnate a little bit at youth level. You know, he's scoring for England under 20s. He's scoring for our under 23s. 
But in order to really, really develop, I think he needs to go and play regular first-team football against guys who are, uh, for want of a better expression, going to kick him up and down the pitch a bit. Uh, you know, Andrew, I totally agree with that because he's obviously got the talent. He's scoring goals at his own age group easily at wherever he goes. But he is one of the smaller ones. The ones we've just spoken about, they're physically ready. So why send them out because they're yeah. ready now? But he's one that probably needs to be kicked around a bit and moved around and to playing with people, you know, literally playing for mortgages. I think that would be a really good development step for him and I hope it happens in January before he goes backwards. Mm, we do obviously have Europa League and we've got some Carabao Cup. Um, are you encouraged by the fact that Emery is... He, he does seem to have a bit of a a tendency or a desire to play some young players because we see it with Genduzi who's come in uh, you know, at 19 years of age and played the first four Premier League games. He appears to have usurped Elneny in the in the pecking order. Elneny hasn't played a minute of Premier League football yet this season, which is which is quite the turnaround, really, for a guy who, who was just given a new contract towards the end of last season, given the number four number, which is the number four number, but the number four, you know, which is a, a number yeah. of some importance in a team. You know, he, more than anybody else, appears to be the guy that Emery has deemed expendable, but it's expendable at the, um, uh, you know, to give a, a young player a chance. We've seen him bring Smith Rowe through. You know, you look at these two games that we've got coming up against Sporting Lisbon, the two most difficult games, I suppose, in the Europa League campaign away next yeah. week and then home, I think, the week after or the week after that. You know, if those results go the right way, we would probably be top of the group. Uh, we can't be caught. We're going to qualify in first place uh, for the knockout stages. At that point, you know, it's full on. Give these kids a chance. Give as many of these young guys who are knocking on the door or knocking on the fringes of the door, you know, a chance to play and, and see what they can do. And, and maybe people had a bit of a worry, didn't they, when Wenger went? Because he was so wedded to the idea of of blooding young players and giving them an opportunity in the first team that that might have been something that's gone by the wayside. Instead, we could be looking at a guy who's bringing through three, four, maybe five players who could be part of the first team squad for years. Yeah, I think he will do. I think um, this is a special crop. I saw an article actually just around all the Arsenal youth players that actually scored or had a positive com contribution in the international week. And mm. there are lots of them. And, you know, there's lots of Spurs and Liverpool players around the England squad at the moment. But, you know, give it two, three years, I think there'll be many Arsenal players around that squad. And sometimes it just goes in cycles. I, we're, we're sort of conditioned to the the two-team squad that we had last year in the Europa League, and mm. we had almost two separate first teams. But I actually quite like this year that he's actually said, no, I'm going to make it one for all, all for one. We're all getting on the flight. We're all going to Carabag land. We're all going that distance. It doesn't matter who you are. We're mm. all flying. And I quite like that because it and it didn't really hurt us when we went to Fulham, did it? We were, all, we were pretty together. Yeah, Everyone played again. And I think you're now you're what you're saying is well actually we're all we're all important and maybe how you feel is not as important as, as how the club is perceived, and I think we're trying to develop a winning mentality again. And the only way you do that is by winning, and winning every game, not throwing games away. Yeah, winning every game, right? So, um, and I think it's I think it's brilliant what he's doing, and he and he's setting a tone. I mean, Hector Bellerin probably doesn't need to go and play some of these games but he's there and if he doesn't play he still travels 
right? And I think it's important that we do that, and it's it creates no favourites in the dressing room. Well, I mean, I think the the biggest and best example of that is Mesut Ozil. You know who went to who went to Carabag and he missed the Fulham game. And you know before yeah. the Fulham game, I could see some people going, "Well, well, that wasn't very smart, was it?" You know, we've we've uh, we've got a guy who's got a back problem, made him do ten hours of flying, and now all of a sudden yeah. he's got a back problem and he can't play against Fulham. Uh, and I get that, and I completely understand it. But at the same time, you know, he could get that from three hours of flying. Or if you were playing in the Champions League and we had to go to Moscow, Mesedoza would be on the plane for a game like that as well. Uh, yeah. You know, I just think the idea of Ozil being there and and even coming on as a, a substitute in games like this away from home, you know, I'm not sure it's a, a bad thing when you're trying to manage a squad and when you're trying to get on top of a squad and trying to imprint your own ideas on a squad. The minute you give one guy a favor, then I'm not saying they're going to take liberties or anything like that. But I think the the second you show that kind of favoritism to one guy, you're going to get other guys either looking for the same thing or other people resenting that thing. And I think that's been something that's uh, that's been part of Ozil's Arsenal experience for a long time. You know, I, I'm, I'm not even sure that Ozil is uh, perturbed or put out by the fact that he has to go to play in Carabag. You know, I don't think he's that bothered by it. You know, it's not like he's throwing a strop or anything like that. And o- overall, I think it's good for the team and good for the squad for him to be involved. Absolutely right. He's our he's our franchise player, for to turn up a phrase, and he's our highest paid player. Mm. So if you, if your highest paid person in the office is the one that comes in last and leaves early, what does it say about the culture? Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. if he's the one that's the highest paid, you'd like to think he's not just the best player, but he's the one that's setting the example that I'm prepared to work just as hard as you, mm. and this is what you have to do to get my level of contract. Not give up the impression that basically I negotiated his contract because Arsenal were weak and silly at the time and by the way I'm not going to Eastern Europe on your way do you see what I mean and yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that that's how it felt last season at times that he was such in a strong position that we looked after him in such a way that he almost played when he liked and then you know what guess what the team played when they like and they, and they have done for the last couple of years hence we become a cup team not a league team and what I'm seeing now is the start of a consistent way of playing, a consistent competitive edge that will lead us back to being a league-challenging team. Maybe not this year, but you can see the the pattern is being set. Okay, fill me in here on what exactly you're seeing that uh, leads you to believe that that's the case in terms of the style of play and the pattern of play, because I've been trying to work it out um, I, we can talk about mentality, we can talk about character, and I think there's a resilience to this team that we haven't really seen, particularly away from home, uh, for, for a couple of years under Arsene Wenger. But I, I think I think he's still feeling his way w- with yeah. the players that he's got, and I'm not sure that... Okay, I'm not saying he's indecisive or anything like that, but we've seen... Halftime substitutions. On the one hand, it's great that he'll make a change because it hasn't worked. On the other hand, you could question the team selection in the first place. We've played different formations. We've played a 4-4-2, and don't get me wrong, I dig it. I really liked what we did at Fulham. It was fantastic. But, you know, the previous game, we started with three at the back and went to a back four at halftime. We've had a number of different formations. So, you know, I think over time, certainly it will develop, but I'm not necessarily seeing it yet. So what, what exactly are you seeing? 
I think as a football team in the last few years, I think we've become a very sort of technical, arrogant team. A team with a high technical level that played on a day that suited them. Mm. And I think we've forsaken the fundamentals of the game. And and, and it's, I don't want to sound very Anglo-Saxon, but there is just a, a way of playing football, a way of demonstrating and sending messages, a way of winning your challenges, winning your races, making sure you care about your position, making sure you're tactically aware, making sure you're showing people the right direction. When you've got a chance to transition and you've got a chance for overloads, don't ignore the overload, play the overload. When there's a through ball and it's on, play it. Don't turn away from it and go back to centre-halves. And we've watched this for years. We've watched the horseshoe football at Arsenal for years and we've looked at our passing numbers and said, crikey, how have we lost with 78% possession? We can all go onto various apps now and see exactly what we've done, what the shape of play is. And then we look at the result and we see as soon as we can see the goal, our mentality goes. That Fulham game is a great example how many times last year did we go in, in the lead, get equalised, and then end up losing the game, especially yeah, away from home? True. I, I, it happens so many times. We could all see it and feel it, and we're all nervous about it. Now, when we when the goal's conceded, let's be honest, we all know this team really well. We think, come on then, let's see what you've got, because we know we've got the potential to outwork these teams. And if we can outwork teams, we've definitely got more talent than most of the teams that are in the league. Mm. And that's what we're seeing right now. It's a respecting of the game's fundamentals. And then just, and I said something to Ellie the other week, we're just playing the game that's in front of us. We're just playing the right passes at the right time and not turning away from opportunities. And we're making teams defend. We're winning headers. We're winning tackles in their, in their half, creating two-pass transitions. Now, I think we're focused on the style. For me, I think he's focused on the basics. And this is how we're going to prepare. This is what we're going to do with the opposition. This is what we're going to focus on. This mm. is our base level game. We don't fall below this. If a team's better than us, great. But I tell you what, they're not going to outwork us. They're not going to outfight us. And then from there, we can show our stuff. And that's what's happened. And you can notice, Andrew, a lot of the games have been won in the second half. Yep. Because we're, with, we're in every game. We're in every game. Even the games... Compared to two 0 City loss to a three 0 loss last year, I know it's still a loss, but it was mm. it was much more competitive this year. The Chelsea game, we froze a bit on stage, but we had them on toes. We should have took them. And all the other games, we've been in contact all the way through. If you're in contact with the level of talent we have up front, we got a great chance. And I think that competitive edge is being instilled in, instilled in, and the players are feeling technically confident and physically confident that they're not going to be outrun. And I think that's a mm. great start. I mean, the, the the phrase hard work is something we hear a lot. And I think that's certainly something that he's managed to to instill in this team. Um, he said it in his first interview, do you remember? He yeah. said, I can only promise you one thing, that we'll we work. work hard. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. And it's, and it's just like, and that's exactly what he's done. And we spent the summer watching YouTube, watching him doing laps to the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's and true. I can see cheekbones developing for every one of them. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, the weight's falling off them. Uh, no, the, I, need, the, I need to go on that plan. Oh, yeah, listen, so. we're getting Niamhry to train us both up, I think, at this point, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. So, I mean, you know, is it a case that you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, the mentality, and that's something I'm going to talk about now in a second, uh, that's changing 
doing the basics right, you know, chasing men, staying organized, staying disciplined, trying to make the the sensible decisions sometimes. Um, Those things come first. And then over the course of, let's say, this season, where he's had a full campaign to assess the players that he's got, the way that we're playing, where we've ended up, how we finished the season, uh, and then he can identify what it is that this squad needs to take it to the next step. Is is style? Are we are we at this point too worried about what the style is when the style is something that has to be built on top of a platform that isn't quite constructed yet? Absolutely spot on. I think he's building the base platform, and I think he, he will want to bring in players that could maybe make his style more easy on the eye or easier to spot and i and i just think again i think if he brings in forwards there will be hard working forwards there won't be lazy forwards mm. i don't see Higuain coming to us put it that way Do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not gonna work right so um so it's gonna be a hard working force to say we lose danny welbeck to uh, an everton for example i see a hard working forward coming in to replace him that maybe with a left foot that gives a different flavor to the squad and if we're going to add new midfielders to our squad I don't see a Jan Mulby type coming in. I see someone with real aggression, speed, the ability to carry the ball. So to enable us to fix the problems that teams have presented us in the past, the best teams in the league can solve problems with the players that they have. So if you need the ability to be press resistant and carry the ball, we have that player. If you need the ability to recover quickly, we have that player all on the pitch because they're rounded individuals. And I think... What he's done with someone like Iwobi, for example, somebody that we all thought was a 60-minute player, not very fit, low in confidence, a bit introspective. Yeah. Suddenly he looks fit, he looks fast, and he looks like, give me that ball, I can make something happen. And we're all starting to believe in him. So that's just somebody that's been told what he's good at, trained to be a bit harder working, and now has said, I've been given the, the platform to say, I don't care if you give it away, just keep trying, keep going. And similar to what Pep did to um, Raheem Sterling, the boy's starting to flourish and it's and it's great to see. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I think one of the interesting things for me uh, this season is the ability to look at the team and to analyse the team without the great drama or... You know, Arsene Wenger was there a long time. Mm. And towards the end, it became, for some people anyway, it became personal. It became impossible to analyze the team in any way without someone either jumping on the Wenger in or Wenger out side of things, right? And I think what we have here with Unai Emery is the ability to look at what he's doing completely separately from who he is, yeah. And really how he's how he's doing it. So to give you an example, you know, we have won whatever amount of games it is on the trot. Nine, nine I think it yeah. is. Nine games in a row. Fantastic. That's brilliant. On its own merits, absolutely brilliant. However, I don't think it would be unfair to say that in those nine games, we haven't been as defensively solid as we would like. We've given up too many chances to the opposition. And you mentioned that, and some people will say, well, look, why are, you, why are you getting hung up on that? You know, just enjoy the fact that we've won. And I do, I enjoy the fact that we've won, but it's, you know, it's impossible to look at a football team and not 
analyze those things. You know, if you're talking about it on a podcast or if you're writing about it, you have yeah. to be able to, to give a rounded picture of what's happening. So today... Uh, he was asked at his press conference, he said, uh, the, the question was, if he expected to make such a big impact at Arsenal with nine wins on the trot. We lost our first two games. We all know that. This is his answer. I'm going to read it out here, and I think it's fantastic. He said, I think we need to improve a lot. I think we have to continue doing a lot of the things to get better. Our demands need to be very high. The supporters can enjoy it with us, but we're also speaking with our reality every day. And that's just him basically saying, you know, we're aware of, of the, the, the flaws that have been part of our game uh, throughout the season. We need to improve because uh, in the match against Fulham, it was a good result and a good game for 90 minutes. But in the first 45 minutes, I thought we needed to do better. If we're remembering the last match at the Emirates against Watford, we won, but not playing like we want with the control against the opposition. So there's the manager, uh, the head coach, whatever you want to call him. He's saying that, okay, it's great and enjoy those wins, but let's get better. Let's improve on the areas that can certainly be improved on. And I like the fact that he said that because we can then say it. And so, you know, you're not moaning, you're not being miserable, you're not being negative by pointing out things which can get better, particularly when the manager himself is saying, okay, I see these things and I I realize that we have to do them better as well. Yeah, I think he's he's really a a pragmatist. Uh, I think Mm. he understands the game. And what I like about him is his thoroughness and potentially video analysis and how he uses data. And again, I've read this, so I don't know if it's for sure. I'm mm. sure you read the same articles, but he's a video obsessive. And, and the way I look at things, the more data that someone has, the better data-driven decisions they can actually make. And I think he's learning. And I think some of the, the juvenile things we did, like at Chelsea with the high line with no pressure on the ball, suddenly we're not talking about that anymore. Mm. It's just not happening, right? Suddenly we're in position. Our distances are better defensively. When we're attacking, we're attacking as a unit, much closer together. You can see the team fixing mistakes, fixing the basics. And I think it's brilliant. And I, and I, I could just sense that every time we watch them, regardless of things, the results, I'm feeling more comfortable with what I'm seeing. I'm feeling more comfortable that there's a there's a plan and a sense of organization to us. The execution isn't perfect, and I think that's the room for improvement. I think we could improve the quality in some areas, and we shouldn't be afraid to say that. And we shouldn't be afraid to say amongst ourselves of Arsenal fans, well, hold on a minute here. We, you know, Watford are getting six or seven shots in, in half an hour. Is that a good thing? And But we've ended up winning the game well because we've got some talented players. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying, enjoy it. There's no shame in saying, actually, we've got work to do and we've got to make some fundamental changes to some of our players. And don't be afraid to lose some of our favourites. Right? And mm. Because that's the only way we're going to turn the page. We've been conditioned for 22 years to behave a certain way. A number of those players are, they're, they're Wenger players that are still in his regime. And if I was coming in as Emery, I would want to put my own stamp on this group. And I would want to do that with a couple of players of my own that really, really show my philosophy and how I want things to do. And to give this group some examples to follow. And that's probably why Ramsey's not got his contract offer, because he needs some wiggle room to develop his own identity in the squad. And we can't really deny him that, can we? No, 
No, I don't think so. You know, it depends really who's making the decision on the Ramsey thing because, you know, there's so many stories out there. It's what some people say, well, Unai Emery has decided after 10 games that Ramsey's not the guy that he wants in his midfield. You know, if that's the case, then he looks at the goal that Ramsey scored against Fulham and must be going, uh, fuck, shit, this guy can actually, uh, he could give me something here. Other people saying that is because the, the delay between the contract agreement, there was no reply from Ramsey's agent, and that's where where Arsenal said, well, okay, fuck you guys. You're going to have to, we're going to have to do something about this because we're not going to get pushed around. Other people saying that a decision taken higher up because of financial pressure. So we don't really know. But, you know, if it's a case that that Ramsey does go, and I think probably at this case, at this stage, it looks far more likely that he will go than, than he will stay. You know, we we have to say he's given us 10 great years. Uh, he's won us two FA Cup finals with two winners. I, I wouldn't like, I have to say, uh, because he's a, a player I like, I wouldn't, uh, while I can get on board the idea of, of a sort of change and maybe chopping something off so it grows back, you know, like yeah. like where you burn down the forest and, you know, it, it sparks nature again. Yeah. What You know, I, I wouldn't like to see him at Liverpool and I wouldn't like to see him at another Premier League club. Um as old as I am and as, as many times as I've been through this particular mill, I, I wouldn't like to see it, particularly, you know, if he's leaving for free. If he goes to Spain or somewhere like that, best of luck to him. Um, you know, but, it, but... It all depends how we replace him, Andrew Reid. Yeah, it? of and course, of course. If we were to bring in um, an, a Nabi Fakir from Lyon and, and put him in that position on the left-hand side, and then and he starts banging in goals in 25 yards the way football works we forget very very quickly yes I mean a few weeks ago it's only a few weeks ago we were debating if Jack Wilshire should get a contract and there was a sizable Arsenal fan group that said it'd be awful if he goes he's now gone gone to West Ham mm. not tore up any trees got injured don't see much of my timeline mate do you I don't see much mentions of it we we forget people very very quickly very quickly, and that's just the nature of, of football fans. If he was to go somewhere and be ultra successful, then obviously that would be held against us. But um, the way I see it is how we replace him, how we, how we move forward, and everything looks good when you're winning. Every decision looks great. When yeah. you start losing, then we, we become introspective and start to look back at previous decisions and say, okay, have we got ourselves in the right shape? Are we doing things appropriately? So it's all about results, all about winning, and that's where Emery seems to be focused on. Next game, the next moment. It's very interesting that the three games before the international break, to go to Carabag and then Fulham, and people asked him about, do you think you're going to be tired after a long flight? And he said, nope, we've prepared for this, we've trained all summer for this. Yeah. And to hear that refreshing approach, I immediately felt, after listening to him, We've got a chance against Fulham, where previously I'd have been very worried about that game under the previous regime. Yeah, it's true. I think sometimes talking about rotation or players being tired is, in a way, self-defeating. It gives them an out, yeah. you know, whereas this was like, no, whatever happens, we will be ready for Fulham. It's 48 hours or just a little over 48 hours between Carabag and Fulham. And he did make some changes, of course, but, you know, I, I, I like that too. I like the fact that, you know, he's demanding of the players. He's, you know, there's no excuses, no excuses on the table for, for anything like that. Let's, yep. let's talk a little bit about something you just said there when it comes to, let's say, Ramsey going in the summer and how we mm-hmm. replace him. Um, we're 
now, I think, I don't know if it's 100, 100% official, but Stan Kroenke, KSE, are the the 100% owners of, of this football club. The compulsory purchases of the shares has gone through. Um, and for the first time ever, one person or one conglomerate or one owner uh, is in charge uh, of Arsenal. Now, in their offer document, they said that they want to be a club that competes regularly for the Champions League and the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I know you're, or we're basically just guessing here or speculating here, but do you feel like if Ramsey leaves, you know, and, and let's not ignore the fact that if we'd sold Ramsey in the summer, I think minimum we would have got from is maybe 30 million. I think we're Agreed. talking about 30 million pounds. And I think Danny Welbeck in the same contractual situation, given the English tax, given the homegrown status, you know, he's a full England international, you're still looking at 15, 20 million pounds for Danny Welbeck. So that's yeah. 55 million pounds that we've left. You know, it's gone. We're not getting yep. it. Um, we still have to replace those players. Uh, if you believe some of the stories that are coming out this week, I think the Arsenal Supporters Trust um, had an article, or, or certainly we're, we're speaking to the Telegraph this week, uh, a little bit worried about the accounts. By their estimation, we're going to be um, running at a big loss uh, you know, for, for this financial year because of the lack of Champions League football, the Europa League, etc., etc. The the investment in players, we we have spent a lot on players in the, in the last little while as well. So, are you confident that if Ramsey goes, the ambition is there from the people who are now running this club? And I don't mean the ones like Sven Mislintat or Raúl Sanjéhi who are the executives to do the day to day work of running the football club, but the the Cronkies, Stan and Josh and KSE and all those executives to actually do what needs to be done to replace players like Ramsey, like Welbeck, uh, you know, to to mm. increase the level. How are you feeling about that? Because I, I can only ask you how you're feeling, not what you know, because none of us know. <laughs> none of us know. And uh, all we can say is that put, our, put ourselves in the mind of a businessman that's just spent a lot of money on an asset, right? Mm. So he's going to want to protect that asset and grow that asset. Now, football is not uh, American sports, and we, we can all look to the Denver Nuggets and the LA Rams and think that's the only sort of that's the only sort of benchmark that we have, and and they are both looking very promising in in their respective sports. But that's been a while coming, by the way. So if we spoke to their supporters, I wonder what they would say about Kroenke. So <laughs> for Arsenal, I would just say to myself, well, actually, he has to protect his asset in a much faster moving world. Football is moving towards a tiered game, and we're at the top tier at the moment. In the English game, in the top six, we used to be in the top six in, in Europe, and we're not right now. That's got to be the progression for him. And the only way to do that is by smart recruitment and smart business decisions. There has to be a point in time when somebody says, okay, we need to change our public face from a business perspective, from a contract perspective. This is what we represent now. This is what's going to happen when you come to Arsenal. These are how we're going to negotiate contracts from, from now on going forward. We're not going to be the, play, the team where you come to for a pension and go away and negotiate your way out at your terms. We've got to change that face at some point. I'm afraid Aaron Ramsey may have overplayed his hand and walked straight into that at the wrong time as the club regime was actually changing. So for me, it's up to him to protect his asset. It's up to him 
to show us his face. And the only times he can do that is January in the summer. Now, given what the AST has said, and they're pretty good when it comes to this sort of work, I too would probably think after two years out of Champions League, that our revenues are going to start to plateau and our wages are going up. So there could be an operational loss coming our way. How we get out of that is going to be what we do in the league this year, getting back into the Champions League. Hence why the focus seems to be on every single football match. There seems to be a laser focus on the results. And I think it's the only thing that they, they can do. We just got to wait, Andrew, to, to January to see what happens. Some of the players that we're linked with are players with potential with superstar potential. And I felt in the last few years, our squad value, it looks pretty low. And then I started to look at it again. And when you look at the young players that are now playing, and you start to look at players that have been given a chance, like Holding, um, obviously like Bellerin's there, you've got Torreira, you have Iwobi. you got these players of Sully, Gwenduzi, they're, just, they're a little bit younger, and they're getting chance in the first team. And suddenly the value of the squad and the potential of the squad is going up. And I see us going that route for maybe another few more months. It may take two years. We can only hope that Spurs and Manchester United continue to implode. Spurs have got a very <laughs> tough route ahead. Yeah. It's particularly with their injuries they have. And I see those injuries getting worse. So I don't want to wish it on anybody else apart from those two clubs. Just give us a chance to um, get into our <laughs> top four. And I think we've got a really good chance. And a lot depends on what we do in, in January, just to supplement the squad slightly. And a lot depends on Lauren Koscielny, by the way, in my opinion. I think if he comes back in and settles into our team and plays like the player we know he can be, I think that will reduce some of those shots on goal statistics that we all know and love, right? We, I think he, he can hold the key to our to our top four ambition. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot to ask of Koscielny at 33 years of age to come back from a an Achilles injury that's, uh, you know, they're, they're very, very difficult to come back from. They're very debilitating. They can really affect the player, you know, their movement, their speed, uh, the way they turn. I mean, I hope he can. I, you know, to me, it, it really says a lot about the centre of our defence that we're that hopeful that Koscielny can come back and, and make a difference. You know, I think it's, I think it's for me... If you're asking me where we should spend money in January, if we should spend money in January, uh, a centre half is is clearly a key recruitment area for me. I like yeah. the fact that Holding has come through. I've been pleasantly pleased with Socrates um, and what we've seen from him so far. But then I'm also reminded that when Mustafi first joined, we had this run of 19 or 20 games where we didn't lose, and everyone was thinking Mustafi was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and uh, now he is, he's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Socrates through, through those eyes as well, but when you look at the squad, you know, midfield, you can see that there's uh, some investment has gone in there and there's a bit of depth in there, you know, with Maitland-Niles back in, Doozy's there, Torreira, Xhaka, we've got Ramsey, um, Elneny is there for the moment. Up front, you know, we've, we've two great strikers, we've got uh, options for the wide areas and all that kind of stuff as well. But if you're asking me where the next big purchase should be, for me it's got to be, it's got to be centre-half. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'm not just... 
I'm talking a statement centre half as well. Someone yeah. who's going to come and and people are going to say, "Wow, okay, that's Arsenal centre half." I know who their goalkeeper is. I know who their centre mids are, and I know who their strikers are. But right now, we've got a bunch of three star hotels at centre back. Right? We're not too sure. <laughs> we're not too sure. The, the young ones we're hopeful for. Um, I, I I think holding will be a will be a, a good Premiership centre half. I'm not sure he's a top six premiership centre-half, but let's see how he develops because he's, he's surprising me slightly. And I would say the same for Callum Chambers. But I do look at the others and think, OK, Mavropanos, let's have a bit more time with him. Mustafi, I'll be, I wouldn't mind if he went to departure lounge and somebody else came in. Mm-hmm. But so- so- Socrates seems to have made the right stuff. He's more physical than, than Mustafi. But right now, all of these players are doing what we've seen with other clubs. When Klopp went to Liverpool, he improved some of these players. I think we can all say, despite the mistakes on occasion, that most of these players are, sh- are putting in an improved showing compared to last season. And so that's down to the approach of the coaching staff and what they're being told to do, how they're being coached, what an analysis they're doing off the pitch and their physical fitness on the pitch. And, and that, for me, sums up what he's done so far. There have been games when Mustafi has been our best centre-half. And that surprised me. I didn't think Holding could play so many games in, in quick succession and be that good. Mm. Right? So I didn't see the Iwobi explosion coming. Right? So, um, and so there's many things. And we're, we are learned watchers of this group. Yeah. And there are a couple of names there in our midfield that we didn't, none of us knew about six months ago. Right? So, um, yeah. And they're there and we're relying on them. Right, so I think it's really interesting what's happening. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot to learn uh, between now and well, Christmas or maybe the end of the season. I just very finally just want to talk to you about the the next maybe six weeks. I know there's a, another international break to come, but between now and let's say the second week of December, we've got Liverpool, we've got Wolves who are, are flying high, we've got Manchester United, we've got Tottenham. Uh, do do we look at this period as like the next big test for Unai Emery? Obviously, the start of the season was a test, a difficult test, one that we didn't necessarily come through with, with flying colours against City and Chelsea. But how we measure up to these other guys who are going to be uh, competitors for the top four, I think that's going to tell us a lot more about where this team is and, and, and how, we're, how we're fixed to get back to where we want to be. Uh, agreed. I think I think it's a test for all of us. You know, we had a very cordial conversation about Arsenal. If we lose a couple of those games, I wonder how we'll all be amongst ourselves. Mm. We need to really. We're talking. We're talking about him. We're all being patient. We're all waiting to see what's happening. We're all fully on board and supportive, and making positive noises. But the test of your fandom is what happens when something goes wrong that maybe you didn't deserve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something goes wrong against a team that you don't like. Are you still going to be this positive? Are you still going to see the improvements in the fundamentals of our game? Or are you going to decide to be introspective about your primary emotions and start to talk about players that you don't like and become and become poisonous again, which we did last year quite easily? We're conditioned now as, as fans to react this way. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can take on board the best thing that's happened from these nine games. 
I'm really hoping that we can keep the unity that seems to be out there at the moment. I was saying on the podcast the other day, my son has asked to go to an away game. He can't wait to get to one. He's never been to an away game. I never thought about taking him because it's been too poisonous. Now I'm thinking, I've got to get tickets, right? I've got to take him because it looks great. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't have enjoyed that Fulham day? Not just the result, but how it looks, how the crowd looks. Everything about it looked positive. And we need to stay on that train, even if we have a couple of dodgy results in the next few weeks. But I, could I think the overall direction is positive. Yeah, I would agree with you. So far, so far, so pretty good. Not perfect in any way. And there's obviously uh, ways we can improve. And Emery has said that himself. But, uh, you know, nine wins on the bounce, however you get them, is a confidence boost for any group of players. Um, so hopefully they can pick up where they left off after after this interlock. Clive, as ever, great talking to you. People can listen to you uh, and all the rest of the guys on the Arsenal Vision podcast, and we'll catch up with you again, hopefully a bit later in the season. It was very strange to me not to be interrupted by Elliot. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> He'll love that. He will, I know. Thanks, Clive. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You can follow Clive on Twitter at ClivePAFC. That's at ClivePAFC. And you can hear him with Elliot and Tim and Paul on the Arsenal Vision podcast as well. So what else have we got to talk about? Not a great deal. I know we're playing Leicester, but it's on Monday night. It seems so far away. How can we preview a game when it's so far away? If it's on Saturday, we can do that. Uh, in Quick injury news. They're still assessing Socrates. He picked up an ankle injury while on international duty for Greece against Finland. So they're uh, having a look at his ankle. Apart from that, though, I don't think anybody else has come back from the international break with an injury. So uh, that, on top of the fact that there were lots of people who didn't even go on the international break, we should be all set for a game at home against uh, against Leicester. You know what I was doing earlier on, just before we go very quickly? I was looking at Mesut Ozil playing video games on Twitch. Twitch is a thing where it's a website you can uh, watch people streaming video games, or you can stream video games there yourself. But as you load it up, there's an ad at the start. There's an ad at the start of the video, and it says, this ad supports Mesut Ozil. You think, hang on a minute. He doesn't need to put ads at the start of his Twitch videos. Whatever about some guy who's sitting at home in his, you know, in his uh, bedroom, and he's playing, and he's got some fans, and he gets some ads, and he gets a few quid in. Messett's got like 350 grand a week. He doesn't need to play ads at all. Come on. That's an absolute swizz, man. I had to wait 29 seconds to watch it. 29 seconds. 
Think of all the things you could do in 29 seconds. Not even one of those ads that you could skip either. I feel like there's no need for those ads. There's enough ads everywhere without Mesut Ozil earning whatever it is. Well, he probably earns quite a lot now that I think about it because he's got a bazillion followers and a bazillion people watching him play Fortnite on Twitch. I'm just trying to imagine like 15 years ago saying, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I watch Mesut Ozil play Fortnite on Twitch. What does that, what does that mean? What does it even mean? The world is changing so fast. Look, James and I will be here on Tuesday. There's no point doing an Arscast Extra on Monday because the game is Monday night. So we'll be here on Tuesday morning to look at the uh, the look at the Leicester game. Hopefully another three points. We can get into double figures when it comes to wins. And, uh, well, that's it. In the meantime, have as good a weekend as you can have without um, without Arsenal. But do your best. Do your best. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. We'll be blogging and newsing all weekend. You know where to get at arsblog.com and arsblog.news. So until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. On the next episode of the Arscast, we look behind the scenes and ask, who was the mysterious figure who ate all the biscuits? All I can tell you is that one minute biscuits are there, on plate, the next minute, gone, completely gone, and I don't have any idea what happened to them, I told them this. Was the biscuit owner's fury enough to make him carry out a crime of passion? First they made Doctor Who a woman, and now my Garibaldi's are gone! And we head to the seediest part of town, to the grottiest bar you can imagine, where an anonymous source tells us he knows who did it. Well, well, look who's come crawling back after all this time. Looking for the information you need, eh? Well, you better settle down. He's got a long and interesting history, let me tell you. It all began back in 1970. That's all on the next episode of the Arscast. Brought to you in association with Square Sizzle. Postage.com and friendly mattress company that's actually a front for the mafia. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 